0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
1: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox. Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks. Check. Triceratops folders and pencils. Check. Lasercat t-shirts. Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Blog Talk Radio.
0: Good afternoon. Welcome to another edition of Front Porch Conversation on Justice. Front Porch Conversation on Justice. We are happy to be with you this Thursday afternoon. It's such a wonderful day, and I know it is here in Virginia, and I'm sure it is in the rest of the country. So wherever you are, uh, we're wishing you a happy day and a, a most graceful day. We're here to discuss issues that are relevant to our community and our everyday life, and and that's what we do at Front Porch Conversation on Justice. We we tackle those issues and address those issues so that people not only are informed, but also they are ready to get out and do some things in their communities and to make life better, not only for themselves, but for others, purposely for others around them. Uh, So we're fortunate enough today to have a uh, a distinguished gentleman with us. Uh, he may not say he's distinguished, but I'm going to say he is. And uh, and uh, we're going to discuss uh, "Made to Flourish," which is a uh, a network uh, that deals with faith, with work, and economic wisdom. Uh, uh, after that Sunday time and uh, at church, Cause so often with the churches that we're we're stuck in in this time warp. And I always say that that you know Sunday at eleven o'clock. Everything seems fine, but at 1 o'clock when the service is and everybody locked the doors of the churches that it ceased to exist, but we want to take it from that time onward till, till the next time. There's a continuum in terms of interaction and, and work and those things that God has designed for us to do. So without me carrying on too much further, I'm going to introduce Charlie Self. Charlie, welcome to Front Porch Conversation on Justice.
1: Well, I am really delighted to be with you, and I love the title that we're together conversing on the front porch of a home and a neighborhood, and that we care Mm -hmm. deeply about justice, and uh, glad to be with you, and glad to be a part of the conversation as we seek to connect Sunday Faith and Monday Work.
0: Great. So we're we're going to start off, because I know everybody's probably wondering, since I said this distinguished gentleman, who is Charlie Self? So (laughs) tell us about Charlie Self.
1: Well, I'll tell you a little bit. I have had the honor for almost 40 years now of being both a pastor and a professor uh, at different levels in the local church, uh, both a senior pastor and associate pastor. I've been a professor at a variety of Christian colleges and universities and seminaries. Very honored to put those two things together. And then during the past 25 years, I've also had the honor of doing some business and nonprofit consulting. But underneath it all, I long to encourage, equip, and empower people to not only fulfill their personal destiny, but with others, and make neighborhoods and nations better places. And so uh, I've had the joy of being married to Kathy for 38 years now. Uh, hardly seems that long, but it's gone by. And we have three adult children. And currently, I am the director of city expansion for Made to Flourish, which we'll share a little more about in a minute. But I I have the joy of exploring and launching new networks and helping to resource this growing movement of, of women and men who long to see those connections, to see pastors in their churches flourish, see their neighborhoods flourish, and see every congregational member empowered and on mission in all that they do each day. So um, life has taken us from California to Belgium to Washington D.C. to the Northwest, and now we live in Denver, Colorado, from which I get to travel to several cities a year. And uh, and uh, Dr. Creek, you're you're one of the um, new friends in my life and, and new colleagues that I get to learn from and work with as we collaborate for the common good. Well,
0: that. You know, that's wonderful. Now everybody knows who Charlie Self is, and we've got some idea, but there's a lot more to, to pull out of that bag of his that, you know, that he was, <laughs> that he was uh, so modest about. So we're going to get to a lot of that as, in the next 55 minutes or so. Uh, but one of the things, the statements, Charlie, I want to start here. Uh, one of the statements I was reading with the Made to Flourish Network on their site, uh, and I'll just read the following. It says, most of our lives are spent working whether paid or unpaid, but rarely do churches consistently address this topic head on. By failing to do so, churches miss the opportunity to minister to their congregations right where they live. In addition, we may be ignoring an area where many people seal off their faith from their lives. Wow. Yes. As as I read it and read it, I'm I'm like, wow, this is, I mean, it's so much that, that we insulate ourselves from, that you know, and not addressing the real issues that are, that affect our daily lives. Um, and well,
1: you know, you know, it, you're, you've absolutely hit something really important here. There's three things that come to mind from that statement that I think are really important for our listeners to be in the conversation. First of all, that when we meet God at the beginning of the Bible, our God is a worker. He's creating the heavens and earth and creating us. And then before sin ever came into the world, he created us to be co-workers with him, creative, innovative, stewarding well all that he gave us. So the idea that our daily work lives are deeply part of God's will and part of the goodness of what he intends. Of course, the second thing is there's such a disconnect because we're in a fallen world, a difficult world of suffering and pain and selfishness, oppression. And so we have to somehow balance this divine intent and design with the disaster and realities around us but here's the third thing uh charles that i think is so exciting the third thing is this is that all the great stuff we do learn in church about loving god and loving our neighbor about prayer about the bible about good ethics and morality about uh, witnessing everything that we praise god we get to learn and we get to experience i love the house of god on saturday or sunday whenever you worship but all that works itself out as we work, whether, we, whether we're a stay-at-home parent or grandparent, whether we're a volunteer, an entrepreneur, whether we're a leader or a laborer, a student, whatever it be, it's precisely in that work world where all that great character and spirituality works itself out. So we, it's, it, part of being mature is we got to keep, keep these three things in mind, that, that work itself was designed by God to be good. Secondly, it becomes very difficult and oppressive because of sin. But thirdly, if it's God's will to work his character in us and help change the world, then it's at the workplace that we can begin to not only witness, praise God for that, but we also get to bring justice and bring goodness and bring transformation to the spaces that he's placed us in.
0: So I mean, that's that's a per, that's a perfect segue to, to get into getting to something else, uh or or to, or to bring this in. And we talk about uh freeing up ourselves and, and being able to uh strengthen our capacity so that, that we can create this sense of community of work and, and, and other things within our within our lives that uh I think, you know, probably you know, that, that steady companionship of two or three kindred spirits uh can Kindle the courage we need to speak and act, uh, which is the important part of it. And uh, when I reflect upon that statement I just read, and I'm looking at where where else can we, how do we get people to, with kindred spirits to get together? Um, because it seems like there's a diffusion point somewhere during during the time, uh, during the week that that. It leaves itself that we 're not connected we're not, uh, connected. Uh, we're not uh, yeah. looking at things in a symmetrical way
1: well i I really love the question I think there's two parts to that the first part is, first part is within our churches, if our language and theology and and spirituality can be dimensional and and holistic, we will find women and men first of all just within our own church that share some common uh, visions, interests, uh, fields of expertise, but secondly uh, as as commissioned believers, if we have a vision of what justice looks like holistically, both for people in our neighborhoods and our cities, then it's interesting we will we will find people from different domains and disciplines in the course of uh, of volunteering in the course of being at work in the course of various civic opportunities. Um, But even at work, we will find people who have conscience and concern and synergies begin to happen when we have new eyes to see. And that's part of what I believe the Holy Spirit's doing in this whole movement, of which made to Flourish is one small part, but this whole movement that you're part of, Charles, of seeing that connection between Sunday and Monday. So both within the church, as churches both as, as institutions and as individual members get engaged in the community. As we worry less about what the media says and more about the good of the community, people start finding each other and they start building those synergies. One, one example of this, uh, to, to be really practical, one community I worked with uh, in Salem, Oregon, they had a very poor performing school in, the, in one of the worst parts of town. High crime rate, poverty, uh, you know, just very, very poor, and yet not too many. Just a block or two away were, were prosperous churches and people. Well, over a period of time, uh, a whole bunch of wonderful ladies from their morning Bible study decided to become reading tutors in that school. And I have, and I can tell you, within two years, that school was a blue ribbon school because there was this this beautiful avalanche of goodness that people began to see that they they left the confines of their church, they got there with the kids got to know families. They didn't preach at the wrong time. They didn't have to. They, they didn't have to. They, the goodness of what they were doing uh, stimulated others to begin to care about the school. And pretty soon you had, you had churches and civic agencies raising money for a local church to put an after-school program together in a gymnasium. And I can give you a testimony that within five years, what used to be called felony flats was renamed completely. A ninety percent drop in crime, an eighty percent improvement in employment, but it all started with folks realizing that they were worshiping and serving God as they went and helped those kids learn to read.
0: You know, it, it, it reminds me too. You know, something you said—a um, uh, monthly dialogue that we have here uh, with pastors on subjects of poverty, racism, and violence. Uh, when it initially started off, it was um, uh, strictly aimed at. Uh, a gathering for pastors to to uh network and have these dialogues and come up with solutions to address some of these issues, but as time went on in a very short time uh it, it, we quickly found out it wasn't god's purpose to just have pastors there uh and yep, it started expanding to others in the communities and various sort of work settings uh and 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 then it was people realized even the pastors had to realize that there are people of faith in all occupations around us that want a connectivity uh, to yeah. to be in a setting with like hearts with with people of like minds to so that they can because their work is from Monday to. To Friday or Monday to Saturday or Tuesday to Saturday, whatever it may be, but in between that time there is no connectivity with faith. So to see all of them start gravitating towards this dialogue, and the numbers start increasing exponentially, uh, it, it it puts a focus on this whole thing of, of where we need to to make that struggle and connection and stop and, and to stop kind of being segmenting portions of the population just because. We think that just because we go to church on Sunday, that the police, the social workers, the the, uh, the non-profit has none of them have any connection with the church, and which they do. <laughs> yeah, so, so, uh, that uh, many
1: of them are many of them are members of our churches? Pastors, pastors, and spiritual leaders have convening and catalytic power, because right. in their churches are people from every one of these domains. I like to yes. call. Um, I, li- I like to call pastors uh, CLOs. They are the chief mm-hmm. learning and listening officers. And mm-hmm. imagine the power, both of what you've done for the larger community. But imagine if every local church—what? Uh, imagine if if all the elders and pastors went on a listening tour to, of their own members. Where do you work, and and what kinds of things concern you? Where? How do you see God working? Where do you see the enemy working? I mean, what are some things we need to to work on? And. And imagine if teachers could start talking to each other, not only about the budget problems and the family problems, but also about how God can be at work. Um, By the way, just one more example of something really, really exciting. There's increasing numbers of, of Christian communities getting involved, for instance, in foster care, and churches getting mobilized. Some people can give two hours a week for a little, two hours a month for a little respite care others want to be foster parents others want to adopt others want to help well you know the church of jesus christ just getting people praying and caring we 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 can literally eliminate much of the foster problem within a very short period of time not everybody's called to do that but if the church cares about the next generation and is willing to be a, a mom and a dad and a brother and a sister oh some amazing things can begin to happen Um, as as people are mobilized. And that's just one example. But pastors have convening power, but they also have listening power. And um, what people in social services or business or nonprofit or education, they don't expect their pastors to know every detail of their work. What they want is a biblical view of how important their work is and how it fits into God's work in the world.
0: You know, this, this morning I was having a conversation with a pastor, and uh, and he was telling me his experiences. Because every time he comes to one of these settings of the, the dialogues, and he goes back excited to his church with with this. Wealth of information and uh, things that we need to be energized and getting involved with. And one of the elderly ladies in the church said, we're an older con- congregation. We can't – what do you expect us to do? We can't do any of this stuff. <laughs> and so I, I told them, I said, you know, I had the same conversation at the church I was preaching at uh, a couple of weeks ago. And they were saying, we're an older congregation. You know, what, what do you expect us to do? I said, it's not what I expect you to do. It's what God expects you to do. Uh, and, and then I kind of went through this questioning and said, did you get up this morning? He said, yes. Who dressed you? I did. I said, well, there's something. there. We'll start with that. Uh, who made breakfast for you? <laughs> I did. Okay, wow. Look look where we're going with this now. And uh, the kind of thing I said as I was talking to this pastor is, you know, your church was – responsible for doing a dinner for a graduation for the Jobs for Life class at the rescue mission. Uh, so these this, the graduates and their families would have this wonderful celebration. That's starting. That's something is yes. always yes. a place where we all have at the table. You know, so.
1: Well, I, I, I'm so happy for your testimony there, because one of the things I've been addressing and Made to Flourish has been addressing is that in the Bible there's no retirement. There's simply reassignment. And yes. there's, never, there's never an age where we can't be fruitful. Now, there are people with physical limitations in certain situations, so we want to be tender and sensitive to that. Um, but at the same time, imagine the wealth, the human wealth, the value, and I'm not speaking about money, but the human value in, in women and men, 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. Imagine if, if connections can be made. So that these children and teenagers that have never seen healthy adult models can meet them and just be prayed for and cared about and remembered. Uh, even, you know, I I am personally, I am personally the recipient of a healthy church that loved me. I had serious family trauma when I was a teenager and a brand new Christian, and uh, I went to a psychotherapist. My dad, as a good engineer, sent me to a pro, and she said, "You know, that's a real mental health therapy is good, but can I just?" ask you, you don't need to spend a lot of money with me right now, stay in your church. Because I had adopted, I mean, I had moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas that just adopted me, cared for me, prayed for me, and I'm, I'm, however much my wife will tell you, I still have to grow, I'm half as healthy as I am, not because of a program, not because of something organized, but because of an ethos, a passion, a vision, that every person mattered. And so, not just inside the walls, but outside. So... Boy, there's, there's no one that can't contribute in some way. There's a, church, there's a wonderful businessman down in Texas, and he employs Down syndrome uh, women and men. He employs people on the autistic spectrum in his restaurants. He's not running a charity. They're doing good work. But he, these, these, these hidden populations, there's, there's several ministries that are taking um, ex-cons, and they're not just treating them as ex-cons, but giving them the dignity of work and opportunity and you and i both know that's one of the one of the one of the great one of the great groups of one of the great human assets we're missing on are literally thousands and thousands of women and men that could be contributing but we've labeled them and libeled them and this is where the church can step in and and just out of sheer relational integrity and social capital make a huge difference
0: wow yeah yeah exactly um let me take a, a announcement break here for those who are listening to the show uh if you would like to ask some questions or make a comment, please feel free to dial 516-387-1592. five nine two five one six three eight seven one five nine two we'd be happy to hear from you today uh, charlie let's let's get back to uh made to flourish um what is the 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 purpose of made to flourish? Uh, let me just start. What is the purpose and uh, and why that particular purpose? Why is it so necessary at this time? Well, you've already
1: given the best intro I could ask for, Charles. Made to flourish, we exist to empower a growing network of pastors in their local churches. Um, and we exist to empower this network of pastors and local churches in order that they might equip their congregants for flourishing and to see their neighborhoods flourish. so we are we, what we want to do is connect uh, help pastors and if you can kind of think of of the kingdom of God in a city as a beautiful uh, ecosystem, a beautiful choreography of different things god 's raised up, we believe that the local church is part of plan a and god 's love for the world not not the only plan He's, he uses every domain, but often, just as you mentioned, the churches can be insulated we want to give pastors. Um, a real understanding of the integration of faith, work, and economic wisdom so that they can help their congregants feel commissioned in their daily lives and then together help their communities flourish. So we focus on pastors, not exclusively. We bring in all kinds of folks who aren't pastors so we can learn together, but we focus on the pastor in the local church. Imagine Sunday morning when you're commissioning a missionary overseas. Imagine if you're also commissioning a new business imagine if you're commissioning foster parents on a sunday morning imagine on sunday if you didn't hear words like are you called to full-time ministry but rather to say as those called as ministers of jesus what place has god decided to put you imagine that change of language so that all of god's people feel empowered and so we do think god has ordained um, pastors and spiritual leaders in a in a unique way to influence the uh, empowerment of his people, and to influence uh, the good of the city. So we, we create networks in cities, and we're prayerfully looking at a new network in the Hampton Roads area. Um, but we bring, we bring pastors together and, and learn about economic wisdom, learn about work, learn about justice, learn about both the barriers to and the blessings of what it means to really be peacemakers and to really help a neighborhood thrive. And I can only say modestly we're one part of what I see God doing. We work with other organizations like the ones that you've been spearheading and been participating in. We work with the CCDA and, and folks across the country that care about community development. We work with entrepreneurial groups across the country that want to see businesses flourish but uh we're not we're not partisan we're not political we're not denominational we just find women and men of every culture and background who love jesus who love his word and want to really help people flourish
0: well you know you just open up a can of worms and i'm going and i'm gonna open it and since you open the can i'm gonna take them out and see which way they run uh, All and, right. uh <laughs> so we'll 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 look at some you know social enterprises are uh, something that are near and dear to my heart uh, and, and one of the things I've talked to several pastors and churches about uh, you know because a lot of these these older churches built these huge huge facilities back in the day when they had these uh, they they could run ten buses out and then bring ten buses back in filled with people for Sunday service. Uh, but now a lot of that time has passed by. As neighborhoods have transformed, and um, and people have gotten older, and 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 somewhere along the line, uh, the, the whole idea of, of of reaching outside the doors of the church became less of a priority. Uh, yeah. And, and so and so now, as we look at it, and we're looking at this whole economic wisdom piece, uh, what can we do to take that? And, and shape that into something that that um that that would further the mission of the church itself, the local church, and at the same time provide a vehicle that people can uh walk back in or introduce um uh, this whole thing about work and uh into the population around the church. Because some of the oh, neighbors yep. I uh, some of the neighbors I work with um the people are clamoring, We need work, we need opportunity, but the church sits there uh like a deer in the headlights.
1: Well, then, well, Charles, let me give you some examples—concrete, okay. practical examples—of what's actually happening. Because not that the church organization can do everything. We're not—we're not saying that. But the right. that the people of God, with the power of the Spirit, can do all things that God's ordained. And by the way, don't don't disconnect the mission of the church from good work or from the from the neighborhood. The key insight is that our mission to make disciples of all nations, our mission to see everyone come to faith in Christ, is uh, integrated with people <laughs> flourishing as human beings. So a couple examples. Um, in Mason, Ohio, um, our, our, my friend uh, Pastor Jeff Greer wonderful church called Grace Chapel. Well, they have a food pantry and they have a counseling center and they have some really wonderful, you know, t- kind of what I call typical outreaches. But they also mm-hmm. have huge amounts of space dedicated to business incubation. They they allow nonprofits to use some of their office space. They've created a, a community center that people uh, use year-round, and the effects of that, that center is itself operationally Um, You know, sustainable and in turn uses their resources So in other words, our church buildings should be full 24-7 Not always Mm. with church meetings But they could be that real estate, those rooms, that opportunity So when people say we've got to do something about the economy of our neighborhood Well, we need to look at the justice issues Look at the historic redlining Look at some of the problems that have kept some goodness away And that's one aspect But what if you offered entrepreneurs some space to to have an office? What if you opened the door to, in fact, in in rural communities, churches that have a little bit of property, they're doing community gardens, and they're they're, they're creating space for people to make things with their hands. Uh, There's no end to the creativity once you see that the mission of the church, yes, to make disciples of all nations, those disciples have to work and eat. So if we're, if we're going to make disciples, it's not just people who've said a prayer and are going to heaven, which, by the way, nothing greater than that in all the universe. But the people who said the prayer and are going to heaven, the people we baptize and call members, they wake up and work all day. And imagine if our real estate and our rooms were used well. Um, yeah, I get so excited about this. There, there were some church planters in Chicago, and these were young uh, fr- frankly, you know, upper-middle-class software engineer kind of people, but they were also M.Dibs from a seminary, and they were so proud of the fact they didn't have a building. They met in houses. They were really spiritual, and God was blessing them, and then one day they faced their greatest test of all. Their denomination gave them a building, and uh, a church <laughs> had been dying for a <laughs> long time and was, em- was empty, and they had, this, they had this old church building in the middle of one of the neighborhoods that needed, uh, you know, restoration, so they uh, they thank God for the cross they had to bear. But here's the good, here's the resurrection news. Here's the good news. That building, uh, they still meet in homes. They still only mm-hmm. worship together once a month in that building. That building is used by five other churches. That building houses an art gallery, ink businesses, host nonprofits. It's busy all the time, and as a result, unemployment's going down in the neighborhood. Uh, People are getting help. Um, They have mental health professionals. In other words, they they made it a house of prayer for all nations, and then they turned it into a house of service for all people. And, uh, again, each situation is unique. But, boy, when you start realizing that God cares about the Monday through Saturday, the Holy Spirit will show you all the assets you actually have, not just the liabilities.
0: Well, I think, too, it, it reminds me of something you said there. It reminds me of this of this phrase, we must develop an appreciation of the value of otherness. Um, and, and in doing so, it, it takes us, you know, back to the ancient tra- tradition of hospitality to the stranger. Um, you know, yes. You know, so, uh, I mean, you, you're, you're what you just elaborated on a few minutes ago, I mean, it just instantly came to mind. It just... Um, because I think so often we're we're tuned in tuned into that oneness me, um, and uh, as much as we think we're doing something for others, we're not there quite there yet. Um, but how do how do we how does made to flourish? And I understand conceptually what's what's there. Uh, yeah. But if I'm if I'm a pastor listening to this show and and I'm saying, well, you know, I want to find out some more about made to flourish. Uh, how would I and this is your commercial part. I always do a little marketing piece in here. So, uh, <laughs> sure. How does one go about doing that? So?
1: Well, first of all, you can go to madetoflourish.org and you can sign up. It takes about three or four minutes. And uh, you can sign up and we'll send you several free resources, but we'll also invite you to events and gatherings in which you can go deeper with fellow pastors on these subjects. We want to see... Uh, Sunday worship transformed, discipleship, mission, outreach, pastoral practices changed in light of this holistic vision. So you'll be invited to gatherings, large and small, and it's contextualized in the various cities. And um, so it's very easy to sign up. We ask that you agree with a basic biblical understanding of faith, and uh, and then you sign up. And we not, not only do we send you resources, but as a member, we also become a listener with you. And want to know what resources and experiences you may have, and then you'll be invited to uh, you'll be invited to events in your region in your city, and and we don't do we don't do huge numbers of events. We don't try to overwhelm you because pastors are really busy, but we try to at least a half a dozen times a year or more in each city, do gatherings for pastors, sometimes regionally, sometimes centrally, sometimes in partnership with other groups. And uh, we want to just invite you, come be part of the learning. Come be part of this transforming vision. And, uh, and, and Charles, for me personally, one of the reasons I'm so excited about Made to Flourish is I see it as one small part of what could, what I really believe is the coming awakening in our country. And when I say that, I say this with humility and with tears. It's been 200 years since we've had a full awakening uh, going back to the 1700s and early 1800s, when you, were, when you were born again in the early days of what we call the American Awakening or the Evangelical Movement, there was no separation between personal and social ethics. If you were, if you were a renewed believer, you wanted to make the world a better place. And John Wesley, the founder of the Methodists in 1757, he said, no Christian can own a slave. Well, the tragedy in American history is that between the 1820s and 1860s, every denomination split over race and slavery. I don't know how you can hear John Wesley in 1757 and end up with Southern Methodist University in 1857. Mm-hmm. But here's the deeper. But here's the deeper. You know, by the way, can we thank God? The last 50, 60 years, we've made some progress. We've got miles to go. We're making progress. We'll keep at it until Jesus comes. But here's the real the even deeper tragedy beyond just race. When people can segment their spiritual life as something personal and live by a different code on Monday, we've got a problem. And so what we're trying to do, one, again, modestly with pastors, a small part of it, is when you put faith, work, and economic wisdom together, um, there is no other now. There is no lesser or greater. What there is is the miracle of the early church gets reborn. Because when the Holy Spirit's working, there's a new sociology around the communion table. I mean, in the book of Philemon, the runaway slave Onesimus, people may not know this, he became Philemon's bishop just a few years later. Now, that's a change in sociology. And so I get, one of the things we get excited about is when God's people feel empowered for daily work, they're also empowered for justice, for, for equity, for hospitality. And the early church was criticized in the Roman Empire because women and men, slaves and free, rich and poor, Roman, non-Roman, they were all drinking out of the same cup and eating from the same plate, and they were criticized for that. I would sure love the church to be criticized for being too diverse, too welcoming, uh, too hospitable, and uh, too committed to justice. I want to be criticized for that with you.
0: So uh, I... how do we take this justice issue? Uh and and uh well how does May the Floyd even address it, uh, in terms with the pastors because uh I know I could about seventy churches and I would dare say that probably less than thirty percent will not you know, I don't know how they do it, but you know, how can you preach biblical uh principles, Jesus principles, <laughs> without getting into justice? But I, I mean I just don't understand how, but um but they, when I mentioned this whole thing about justice and getting into this thing about integrating the, the Christian faith with work and economic wisdom, and uh, sometimes they shiver. Uh, I mean,
1: what, what – Well, okay, that's because they've confused – yeah, I have the same thing. You, you, in the fact, if you mention the word economics or economic wisdom, there's a chill that hits the room. And here's the right. problem. Political ideology is the enemy of good theology. People yes. instantly think you're liberal or conservative, you're a communist or a libertarian. And we just made a flourish in particular, uh, though we know there can be a wide range of opinions on public and private and different ways to do things. We are not captive to ideology. And that's right. the biggest challenge. Uh, so back to justice. Micah eight is well known. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. But Romans 14:17 is the New Testament counterpart. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. And go ahead and expand that. It's not a matter of the carpet color, your your, your specific your specific narrow worship styles, your particular denominational heritage. It's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And that's not just a personal experience. The context there in Romans were people getting along with a diverse community. So John, one of John Perkins' dear friends from Mississippi, I, I asked the question, when it comes to racial integration and transformation, when it comes to economic integration, transformation, what's a step everyone can take? What's a step every church can do? And he looked me in the eye and he said, make a friend. And, you know, one of the, one of the things, and by the way, there's 10, 10 more things to do as well. But one right. of the, one of the biblical challenges is intentional friendship across all the divides that Satan has set up in the systems of the world. And and you, you begin that road. And this is one of the things that uh, is an unarguable good that the church can help lead. Um, so I think, um, the other thing, when people hear justice, they put the word social justice to it, then instantly they put you in this camp. You know, they yeah. put you in left wing, left wing, right wing, whatever, you know. I love Evie right. Hill, you know, some are for the left wing, some are for the right wing. I'm just for the bird flying. And uh, <laughs> I think, I think, um, I think I, I'd like to change the conversation, Charles, and say, if you care about justice, justice is social, because in the end is a God Through the cross of Jesus Christ, He is a God of complete love and justice, perfectly integrated. And so, people of people in privilege and power love to talk about the rule of law, and they love to talk about you know uh, personal responsibility. And that's not all wrong. And then people who've been oppressed and underrepresented and not had access begin to talk about the systems. They begin to talk about the inequities. and that's why uh, Pastor Chris Brooks in Detroit said you have to confront individual iniquity and institutional injustice at the same time. And the good news with this holistic vision is we can do both.
0: How does Made to Flourish, uh, in what ways does Made to Flourish guide or introduce the practical part uh, to, to the pastors well, and the church? Well, that's
1: churches? exactly what we're doing all the time. On our website, we're, we're inviting uh, writers from, and speakers, because we link to videos, but we invite writers and speakers to inform us at our events. We're bringing together very diverse uh, traditions and populations to actually roll up our sleeves and say, okay, we're going to get the theory down. Now, what does this mean concretely in practice? What does it mean on a Sunday morning for your sermon? What does it mean in your disciples, in your discipling of others? What does it mean in your outreach and mission? Um, what does it what does it mean as a pastor? Are you getting out in the workplace if, if, if you have the liberty to do so? Are you getting out and actually seeing where people work? So we're getting really concrete in that we're both listening to each other, but we're rolling up our sleeves. And we've already begun to see some churches begin to collaborate on projects and begin to do some things together but you've got to always do three things simultaneously. You've got to make sure that you get the full biblical message into the pastor's head and heart, because she or he is so busy, so challenged. I mean, I, I, we need, we need some sympathy for pastors here. They they work really hard and, and to, and to be a good local church in a hostile environment at times, it can be challenging, but we want to make sure we keep the biblical story in front of them. Secondly, we need to connect the local church's mission with the flourishing of the community. The two cannot be separated. And then thirdly um, create real collaborations across the domains and disciplines of society. And here's the good news. Uh, if, If there are any pastors listening, let me just share something. The more you honor the work of God's people as they are all week, the more they'll have some energy to volunteer for some of the things you do as a church. But if people feel like they're secular jobs, and I hate that word because that's a unbiblical term, but if they feel like their daily work isn't as important as as the church work, then we're never going to make progress. So, Charles, we get as practical as we can as we gather around lunch tables and breakfast tables and hear speakers and share resources and begin to do projects together.
0: Well, you spoke on something the flourishing of the communities. Uh, I want you to expand on that a little bit, and how do you define? Because one, one of the one of the points I I do address when I'm talking to some of these churches and pastors about that idea of flourishing of the communities, but we all have a different perspective on uh, it. And I kind of challenge them, especially the ones that are in the inner city, uh, because as some say, Sunday is the most integrated hour, which I challenge, I think it's 24 hours a day. But, um, uh, but at the same time, they, they look at it as they, they don't define what they don't know what flourishing of the community is the neighborhood around them is because on Sundays, as, as I tell them, I said, there are more drive-bys on Sundays. Uh, and yeah. You, yeah. you drive in and you drive out. So you don't know the community. Uh, You have no connection to it. So talk to me more about this flourishing of the communities.
1: Well, there are a lot of partners we work with, um, agencies like Good Cities, uh, New City Commons. There's a lot of work that's been done across the country, both in and outside the church, that defines a healthy community. So uh, we're a good broker of that. But when you talk about a healthy community, you are talking about hope, opportunity, equity, equity. You're talking about businesses beginning to thrive. you're talking about education being restored. You're talking about opportunities for families to stay connected. In other words, a flourishing community is, is the larger expression, uh, and I'm going to be a little radical here, but it's a larger expression of, of flourishing disciples and churches. For example, when we talk about a hu- when we talk about a human person being healthy, we're talking spiritual, Emotional, relational, vocational, and occupational health. In other words, if we're gonna be if we're gonna make healthy disciples, they need to love God, they need to love their neighbor, they need to love themselves, have self respect, they need to know what they're called to, and they need to do each day's work for the glory of God. Expand that discipleship vision now, expand that into the community. People feel safe, people have relationships, people have trust. People have opportunity. People have access. Going back to Detroit, they found out they had a huge educational desert in one of the areas of Detroit that was sort of hollowed out. So a wonderful Christian college came in and began to offer AA and BA degrees, uh, and 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 with scholarships. But people had to work for it. But they began to heal an educational desert. They've mobilized hundreds of churches to give every second, third, fourth grader a reading tutor. Um, so that the next generation won't be just put through the system without actually being able to go and get work, they're an inviting enterprise back into the neighborhood. They're building small houses that people can rent to own. In other words, they're they're restoring dignity, equity, opportunity. They're not uh, they're not re- removing responsibility. There still are personal choices. There's still a, a real call to you know be responsible. But it's really hard just to tell somebody to be responsible if there's not dignity, equity, and opportunity. It's really hard to tell somebody to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. I hate that phrase, but I use it. Um, (laughs) You can say that, you can say that, or, or, you know, let's, let's support the traditional family. It's really hard if there's not dignity, equity, and opportunity. If there's no work, there's no practical means by which families can be sustained. And so they either move or they disintegrate. So, what i get excited about with you is we need a picture of what there looks like now you you have a threefold phrase that you use for transformation and i'm going to use part of it here and then let you finish the sentence agitation is important awareness is important raising consciousness is important Uh, evaluating historic injustices and systems absolutely essential and too many people of privilege want to just sort of start today and go forward without looking at that without doing assessment but by itself it's insufficient we have to have a vision of what there looks like of what flourishing looks like and then the organizing and the initiating and the and operationalizing that's going to take all hands on deck and I made the flourish. Can't claim that we do all of this. What we can claim right. is we gather pastors. We gather pastors so they can understand this and know what their part is in seeing those communities flourish.
0: Hmm. You know what? We, we need another hour just to break down each one of those areas that you just <laughs> talked about. <laughs> but, but you know, the, the education piece. Um, I, I know Tuesday I was in a. Um, a large community event, um, and they were uh, addressing youth violence within the city of Newport News and trying uh, to come up with sol- solutions. So, uh, one of the questions was um, for the table talk: uh, What can the uh, the churches, the government, and people and the youth? How can they come together? What can they do to reduce? Violence, and so I, I immediately said, "We have the wrong question on the table," um, and uh, <laughs> and you would think I was committed to worst sin in the world by saying that. Uh, and I said, we, "We need to start. We need to get back into that basic system of people." Uh, of, trusting one another and understanding those relationships and building relationships. I said, but more paramount than that is, I said something my cousin Julian Bond said when they were talking to him about violence in the community, especially in the black community, uh, was that the greatest violence was sending kids to school for 12 years and they only get six years' worth of education. Uh, And so by doing so... Uh, and so they, and then the folks would say, "Well, what we got? The parents need to be more involved." I said, "Now put the parent in the same scenario: twelve years of education, of going to twelve years of going to school, and six years of education. So, what do you have? You have a cycle of something that's happening." Yes. I said, "So the yes. next product out of that cycle is a hustle to, for survival. It's not uh, anything right. else. So until you start addressing where it's all, where the rudiment problem is, you you can flood." the community with police, but you can't have a policeman in every household. Um, well, so. and, and, and,
1: and Charles, you can, you can, we it's been proven across the country. You just throwing more money doesn't do the job either. It's just exactly. you know, government yeah. or, pri- or private money. Uh, there's right. four things inherent in what you've just said. That, that can transform the situation. I, I've done some study in seeking to understand, because I've gone through hard times in life, but I am not part of an underserved or underprivileged community, so I want to be really vulnerable there. Uh, my wife and I have endured some suffering uh, un- and injustice at times, but nowhere near what millions and millions of others face as a desert every day. Having said that, there's four things that you inherent in what you shared. First of all, you've got to ha- you've got to have relational capital, and wh- right. if the family is broken, there has to be surrogate moms and dads. Because every success story out of that cycle involved a relationship or two with a mature, stable adult, and who better to provide this than the church? Right. Secondly, there has to there has to be equity and opportunity. In other words, you have to actually. Um, you know, you have to actually give the opportunity. So, to the educational piece you've described, um, there are right now there are a, there are a million black families lined up for charter schools across the country, because they're just so upset and angry with what they're getting in the underserved and underprivileged areas. Well, hmm. the answer isn't the answer isn't to privatize everything or reject public education. The answer is to actually deliver what public education should deliver. But you gotta have the relational equity so they actually come to school ready to learn with some food in their stomach, right? Then yes. you've got to have you gotta you gotta deliver the goods. But then they've got to see early in their experience that the consequence of their discipline is real work so they don't just fall into the hustle. And that's, that that itself means you've got to deliver economic equity and opportunity. And then of course underneath it all Underneath it all, we have got to create the conditions for an ongoing encounter with the Lord because only Jesus Christ can chase away the self-centeredness and violence that can afflict all of our hearts. And so it's, it's, it's relational equity, it's economic and educational opportunity, it's social capital, and then it's spiritual capital. And the reason so many of these young young men in particular that are incarcerated – they might have had their grandma take them to church when they were a kid, but there was no connection between that experience and everyday life. And so they, they fall into these cults. They fall into anger. They fall into movements that are contrary to Christian well-being and further exacerbate the problem. So we have to, we have, and we have to reverse that trend. But the good news is there are enough churches and enough Christians that if they're willing to make a new friend, mentor the next generation, we can actually see a change within a generation.
0: I, I agree with that. You know, I was um, in, a, in a setting where they're um, in a city, and I won't mention where it is, But uh, uh, and speaking to a group of pastors some years ago, and uh, on every corner there's a church and a liquor store. Uh, and I said, well, and so I kind of told this group of pastors, I said, the liquor store is reaching more people than you. And they were like, they looked at me kind of strange. I said, well, you know, they're open at least 14 hours a day and I see more people passing through there and your church door is locked tighter than Fort Knox. So evidently you need if you want to reach the population out there then you need to go stand in front of the liquor store. Uh, cuz whatever spirits they're selling is better than what you're doing uh with the job that you're doing it's not better than what you the spirit that you have. Well, well and, um,
1: and and what you and what you've described I remember thirty thirty-five 35 years ago in the worst part of Los Angeles. Uh Jaime Escalante got majority world kids from poor backgrounds to actually learn math and get to college. Yeah. And he was told, he was told, they can't do it. Give them hope. Don't expect this. Don't do this. Uh, you're, you're giving, you know, you're just, just, just pass them through. Don't, don't aspire to anything more than survival. And he refused right. to believe that. But when right. you look at the dynamics of what he did, is that he actually became that surrogate father along with others that helped him. In other words, we can never underestimate the power of a relationship right. to, 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 to change the world. And um, I'm, I'm the recipient of that. And I, and all I'm trying to do with what, what little I can offer is to say thank you to Christ and to his church being uh, his church be more powerful in their ability to influence i i ask people i ask churches three questions if they're struggling i ask them number one do you want to get well i love that john chapter five question don't you the guy's been paralyzed 38 years and jesus comes up and says do you want to get well and you know frankly sometimes we don't want to get well uh, it serves the interest of the powerful and it, it takes responsibility away from the weak and so we just say But this guy actually said, yeah, I'd love to get well, but he came up with excuses, Jesus healed him. Second question is, are you willing, do you want to grow up? Do you want to mature in your understanding? And that's what we've been doing for this hour, is trying to mature in our understanding of mission and the kingdom. But the third question I think is fundamental that you can start with right now today. Every church can do this. Are you willing to make a new friend? Do you have room in your life, for one new friend, I would say this to your retirees, to every retiree listening, and uh, both now and in the future as this is played. Um, do you have room to, to mentor a young woman or a young man? Do you have room to, you know, Jesus asked his disciples, could you pray with me for an hour? Do you have, a, do you have an hour or two a week to be the stable influence for a, woman, for a young woman or a young man? It will, it will change the world. Um, and if people say no to that last question, we're, we're, we're done before we start. But if they start saying yes to it, Charles, no amount, uh, I mean, there's no limit to the creativity that can come.
0: Mm. You know, I was reading something this morning um, to the effect that uh, we must be able to cultivate the ability to hold tension in life-giving yeah. ways. Uh, yes, sir. And it will- and when we allow these attentions to expand in our hearts, uh, they can open us up to new understanding of ourselves and of our world, enhancing the lives of others and bringing the gospel to, to others in ways that, that our limited, uh, selfish ways haven't paid any attention to. So if, as I reflected on that and looked at and was looking at one one of the areas that on Major Flores' website, and a quote was there, was one area where many struggle to make a connection and where pastors often don't know how to equip their congregation is integrating the Christian faith with work and economic wisdom. And so that whole thing kind of opened up because I know we have these, and we get settling these these uh, events, and I'm just call them events, um, in yeah. some of the local church areas. Uh, and especially, and I would say this, especially in the black church, and I know it's not just germane to the black church, where we start, we become protectionists and start, uh, we just preach and we kind of want to scare people into this whole thing of preaching sin and damnation. And we don't expand out from that so that people see that there's another way to open up a new life to not only ourselves, you know, because God has established that tri- triune relationship. Um and, and yeah. we need to take advantage of that that whole thing. But we can't get there if we single minded focus on on a on a message that keeps us trapped uh in the doors of the church of that local church on Sundays that we can't expand out on Mondays through Saturdays. Um uh, so Amen. how Amen. again for for those who are listening to us and we're gonna revisit this since we've got about four minutes or so left, uh how can one again connect if my pastor is not part of Made to Flourish, then Charlie Self is going to tell you how to get your pastor connected to Made to Flourish.
1: Well please please if uh both your pastors, those of you who are listening and pastors who are listening, it's made to flourish dot org is the website and you can uh, make a couple of clicks and, and you can join. By the way, if you're not a pastor, you can become a subscriber and uh, have access to all the great resources in the newsletters. Pastors get to be members because we really want to focus there, and we'll share resources with you, and then and I'm going to issue a challenge. You become a resource. The experiences God's given you, the wisdom he's given you, the questions he's given you can now become part of the dialogue. And I uh, can't promise that every idea gets published tomorrow, but I can promise you that uh, we're a, we're, we are a network growing I'm so thrilled to tell you that we're 2,300 pastors, 1,800 different churches across the nation, representing every culture, every denomination, uh, women and men serving Jesus. So made sign up to be a member if you're a pastor, sign up to subscribe and get on the mailing list if you're, if you're, a, if you're not a pastor. We don't have a two-tiered system here. We're focused on pastors, but we want, we want women and men of every domain to be part of this conversation. And, uh, and then look up that city closest to you, and there'll be events that you can be part of, and there may be, there may be a chance for you as you connect with those city network leaders that we have in those cities, that, that you may be a catalyst. You may be a host. So we want to be as empowering as possible, but we encourage you to sign up at madetoflourish.org, and may we indeed see righteousness, peace, and joy keep growing.
0: That's great. Yeah, uh, Charlie, next time... We're going to have you back again because um, I've got about two sheets of paper filled with bullets that – that same you, you you talked about that we need to spend more time on and, and discuss. Uh, at the same time, uh, I'm, I'm thinking in my mind that you know part of the show I want to talk to you and your wife together, because for those who are out there know Charlie's wife is a very accomplished art. I mean artist. Uh, I've seen some of her works and they're, they're very endearing and thoughtful and and uh, reflective. Um, and one who used to own an art gallery. Um, I, I kind of got an eye for that kind of stuff. So. Um, Oh well, we, we
1: would love to be a part of this conversation anytime. Uh, and I, my highest, I mean, my highest title is child of God. But after that, I love being introduced as the spouse of the artist when she's showing her things in a gallery. Uh, uh, I'm more a little more public figure, but she's uh, her call is to bring beauty to our world. So uh, we will always be praying for uh, your show, and we'll be ready to be a part if we can serve in any way.
0: Uh, certainly, thank you to the listeners out there. Tune in next week, next Saturday at one o'clock. Uh, we're going to have some mothers whose children have been murdered in uh, in the cities around the Hampton Roads area. Uh, we've been working with them, this group of mothers, for the last couple of months and uh, bringing them together to, uh, to for healing and to address some issues that uh, that are a concern in our communities and. Uh, a lot of what Charlie talked about today in terms of the hope and the emotion and the spirit and relationships, uh, those are the things we, we're going to get to with them. Uh, they've lived it. They're still living it. Uh, they have a concern for our communities, uh, obviously. And I'm going to end this with what one of the mothers said uh, about her drivers, like why it's important She said at the end of a session that – My driver's license is important because the day my son was killed, I lost my identity. So until next week, we want to wish you a blessed week and uh, go out today and the rest of this week and meet somebody that you didn't know before. May God continue to bless you. Thanks, Charlie. See you next time.
1: Thank you. What an honor to be with you.